Welcome to The Bandwidth, your first stop for collectible finance here at the Ban Arbitrage Network. We combine data and experience to help you understand the world of collectible finance. Father Ken here. Thank you for joining us today and building your knowledge in collectible finance. We have some amazing resources available for you today. In fact, uh, Wolf is here. Wolf, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Been having lots of fun with the data lately. All kinds of new toys. How have you been doing, Ken? I have been uh, doing and doing. I am slowly <laughs> ramping down my sales right now uh, because uh, I just found out that I'm moving. So, surprise. That'll do it. Yeah. Um, but that being said, welcome. It's so good to have you again. It's so good to talk to you again. It's, it feels like it's been a year since we've really had time to talk to each other. Yeah, it's been it's been at least a month, hasn't it? Least. I think so. I think so. But it's good to be here. It's yes, good it to be is. here on the Ban Arbitrage Network because what we do, I think, is important, and how we how we share uh, what's going on in the world of magic finance is important as well. So, can I ask you, uh, just personally, uh, we were talking before cast that you've been extremely busy, as have I. Is there anything fun that you've been working on? Uh, well, fun is a fun is a relative term, yes. I'm sure. Uh, well, so I guess for me, uh, in case you guys don't already know this, I'm kind of attached to my keyboard, but, uh, at work, I've been put, uh, as the point guy for a few data science projects, which has been absolutely, uh, exciting for me. It's, uh, it's a huge step up from where I was before kind of doing the essentially intern work. So now I get to create something from scratch and, and schedule things and set things up and, and do a lot more of the, the heavy lifting and a lot of the thinking. And it's, it's nice that, uh, Nobody's really just like watching me every minute of the day. So I get to spend five, six hours a day working on something that I really enjoy doing. And obviously there's a purpose to it. So uh, on that front, I, I've definitely been, I've been really enjoying my time there. And then, uh, of course, on the, the TCG, CCG sides, I've, uh, I've started doing a, another podcast with, uh, Jake, Pokonomics and Sakil. So that's been, oh. that's been another, uh, evening, evening podcast, but that one, that one's fun. We we talk about everything from philosophy to, to random stuff. So that one's fun. And then uh, TCG Player has also come out with their, their latest sales thing, which I have completely um, <clears throat> taken advantage, I mean, utilized uh, to the highest degree possible, I believe. So uh, yeah, lots, 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 and lots. There are lots of fun things going on in my world as well. Uh, a week ago, my my family was sitting around the dining room table with the realtor, and he said, you've got 20 hours of work to get your house on the market. <laughs> and my wife said, Friday morning, our house is on the market, and now it's Monday, and uh, it seems like we just sold a house. So That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, once again, making money at every turn, uh, you know, $15,000 over our asking price, uh, it seems pretty good to me. That does. That does. The... Uh... The house that I fell into as well, we were planning on doing that exact floor plan and we were actually going to build it from scratch. It was going to take 12 to 15 months and a deal Oof. fell through in our preferred neighborhood instead of the one that we, we went to, which was another 15 minutes out. And because they had already built it uh, or already planned and ordered the materials nine months ago before the price of lumber went up, we actually oh. got about 70000 worth of upgrades free, or at least for the same price that we were going to pay for far, far less. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time. It's a very interesting time in the housing market, sure. But it's exciting. It it's always exciting when you get more than you're you're ready for. And now I'm I I'm weird. I'm excited because I got to relearn. I haven't mowed a lawn since I was 15. <laughs> so 
don't even remember what right. grass is in Manhattan. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looks like I am going to be homeless with my, my wife and kids for about two months, maybe more. Um, so we're going to be couch surfing at grandpa and grandma's, uh, for the fall <laughs> and then just going from there, trying to, trying to do all those fun things. Um, but I am, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, I am waiting on a final series of interviews for a, a new job as well. And that should take me into a position to, to free up a whole lot of time. Right now I'm working 80 to 90 hours a week. Uh, I should be going down to about 40, maybe, maybe less every single week doing stuff that I love to do. And uh, they're going to be able to pay me a full time and it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to love that. Free up a lot of time to do more magic finance, free up time to go fishing. I haven't done that in years. So (laughs) I'm excited for it. So, uh, you know, we can talk about life all night long. Um, (laughs) Those of you who don't know, Wolf and I care care about each other and about what's going on in each other's lives. And we, we can talk about that all night. But what market trends are you seeing right now, Wolf? That's that's my main question. Sure thing. So the most recent, I think, set that everybody knows, which is having an impact, is uh, Modern Horizons 2 uh, mm-hmm. kind of coming back. It's uh, really just uh, coinciding very beautifully, I would say, with uh, Return to Play. You know, we've got events down in Florida. We've got events that are happening in person. I think mm-hmm. there was one in Texas. There was one, I think, in Missouri as well. Comic-Con. Um, so a lot of people are coming back to play, and I do think a lot of folks sold their their decks at the beginning of the pandemic or throughout yeah. because they couldn't play. And uh, people definitely do seem to be, uh, I won't say coming back with a vengeance, but there is certainly the trend that folks are beginning to rebuy into these formats, which is, is honestly really uh, heartening to see in terms of just the strength of the game and player base wanting to get back into it. So really delightful to see. Um, the biggest impact, I would say, just um, kind of tangentially related to that Modern Horizons 2 is that there were a number of cards that saw variant printings or, or special editions mm-hmm. that were in Modern Horizons, the first one, but the ones that miss that treatment are the cards that are definitely seeing the highest movement and the highest dollar mover there. I'll just call this one out is definitely Urza Lord High Artificer, both the non-foil and the foil version. You're, if you can get a, a lead on these things, um, over 20 of these sell per day. And that's not even copies. That's just the number mm-hmm. of orders. So I don't even know how many they're buying inside these orders, but there's literally 20 orders a day. These things sell every the foil sells every three hours and the non-foil sells every hour and wow. what, hour and 20 minutes, it looks like. So, yeah, I mean, these things are water right now. They just move. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I noticed over the weekend. I ran my first uh, modern tournament over the weekend, competitive rules enforcement Ooh. level. Uh, really enjoyed the day. And I got a lesson in mo- in the new modern that is not going to go away too quickly <laughs> the the thing that i noticed the most was Ur- urza saga um yes that was that that card fits in every deck i couldn't believe it like it's mean jun death shadow with urza saga what it's unbelievable <laughs> um yeah. i I saw it in in the uh, the mono blue deck. Oh, that mono blue deck is playing four of Archmage's Charm. Did you know that? I did. I did. That's actually the number one bestseller this week. You just, you oh, just my goodness. tapped it on the head right there. Well, I, I 
I bought uh, Archmage's Charm um, last fall, a mm-hmm. dollar a piece. You're in good. T- you're in good spaces. <laughs> I, I had people actively trying to trade me for my Archmage's Charms uh, this past winter, and I said, "No, not yet, not yet." Oh my goodness. Uh, watching Modern this weekend was absolutely fantastic, and seeing all of the new cards come out and come play, fantastic. I saw somebody drop $340 on four of Ragavan. I just couldn't believe it. I will. Uh, I, I, I could go on tangents on, the, on this next thing all night, so you can definitely reel me in. But there, there is a, a point that I would like to make that if you are watching the decklist results that are coming out of MTGO for the, the leagues and the preliminaries. Um, don't just buy off of what's showing in those results because it's at least not for financial gains, simply mm-hmm. because that's not what people are necessarily buying. Um, I think it's, it's just very important to point out. I think just sticking with the original point though of market trends, something that is definitely moving the most. And, and I think this is really interesting just in terms of the archetype itself uh, is Enchantress. Enchantress in modern, anything that can mm-hmm. be put in Enchantress, anything that you can think of, there's a number, there's a couple of cards I think we'll get into later yeah. um, from Modern Horizons 2. Um, but the biggest one is Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to call it Corsair of Crufix 2.0 because it's just better. Uh, but it's an enchantment creature. And despite the fact that it was announced in a secret lair, although we could probably talk about that later as well when we get to secret lairs and, and their impact. Right. A- anything that has uh, enchantment in the name of it that is remotely modern viable, uh, because Modern Horizon 2 really did just breathe light, life into that entire archetype. I mean, that is now a semi-viable, even if it's just a casual. And all of those cards are going... Hercules style zero to hero mm-hmm. real fast right now. And, and it's fun to see, honestly, but just something to keep your eye out for. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've I really, really enjoyed and noticed very much so over the weekend. It is one of those formats where everything is new and different and nothing settled, and everything that was good still is good. And then all of these new decks are creating new opportunities for people to to play in styles that are different and unique and styles that they like. And it's an unsolved mm-hmm. format. And I I heard it said that they are trying to make modern the new legacy, the the non-reserve list legacy, and uh, turn it into a a format that anybody can play, anybody can walk into, and that is uh you know, financially viable, you know, something that people can, can draft and then hop into again. That's Um, interesting. Yeah. I would have called it the new standard because it rotates. I was, cause I was looking over the deck list and I was actually, everybody gives flack to Eldraine for being incredibly overpowered. Eldraine was an overhyped set. Mm -hmm. But when I look at modern, I see so many Theros beyond death cards. And I'm not talking like the big powerhouses. I'm talking the commons, the uncommons, the fillers. There is so much from Theros Beyond Death. Uh, I, I This might just be because I was looking at the top of the list and I didn't go down to the bottom. But I was really just impressed that these sets that are so recent, and I think about you know when I started playing, uh, which was RTR back in 2013, I mean, there were cards from 8th edition. I mean, you could go back 10 years and... Whenever a new set came out, it kind of gave life to a card that was 10 years older. Now, it's not like that anymore. You know, a new set comes out, everything in modern changes. And the reason what makes it so accessible for everybody is that it's all the new powerful cards are in the new set. 
So anybody who's going in to get the newest cards can basically just drop into, you can parachute into standard, you can parachute into modern, you can parachute into pioneer. It's because they're just they're pushing the gas so much. Whereas legacy, when I think of that, that's a very like restricted pool of cards that you've got to get into. You've got to learn. You really have to learn how to play the game from earlier formats to get into it. So um, it's just curious to me. I, th- I think I agree with the the angle that they're taking. It's just not the the way that I I would phrase it. I think I would say. Well, I I think I I think I mostly agree with you. I um, very much enjoy the format. Um, I very much so enjoy everything that's going on in modern right now. I I think what we've done is created an entry point for people to be able to play. I don't think that that Wizards of the Coast is going to be tailoring its sets for modern. I think we're going to have these special sets, you know, like Commander Legends, um, that they may make some of those cards modern legal. And I think it'll be very special cases, and I think it'll be very corner cases that it happens. But I think we're going to see more special sets, uh, number one, where I think we're going to see more printings of more different cards. And we're also going to see attention being brought to the play of modern. I don't know if you remember this or not, but about five years ago, there was a modern season in the Pro Tour. So every fall, everybody would be buying the new cards to be able to play standard. And then starting in the spring, March, April, May, that would be modern season. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it, at least in my local area, we would draft all summer long. You'd sit in the air conditioning and draft and just enjoy, you know, being able to play. I'm kind of wondering if we're going back to that style of play again, where we have modern season come middle of summer and these special sets coming out where people can, can really play them well. I, disagree with me, please. No, no, I, I would love for that to come back. I'm, I'm very much in the same vein of, uh, one of my favorite memories is, is when I visited, uh, my wife's family in Hawaii was going to do, was literally sneaking away from what are now my in-laws to go do, uh, MM15 drafts. Um, and I, I still love that, like, just th- those months in the summer where you can sneak away and, and do that because it's, it's fun to play with. I, I would call it power. Um, so I, I, I would love for that to come back. Um, I do agree kind of with what you were saying that there will be specialty sets for for modern going forward mm-hmm. however um just looking at the sales data i'm looking at even in these sets it's not modern that's driving the sales i could walk down the top selling cards in modern horizons 2 right now and i think it might surprise you it's not it's not the modern cards uh, there is one which i think is incredibly overhyped uh for what it's for what it's able to do right now and i do think it is modern thanks to modern but um, it's, it's all EDH. It looks all casual. I mean, Cabal Coffers should, should not be the best selling card in Modern Horizons 2, I don't think, but it so, is. So you gotta, you gotta run this down. All right. You've alluded to it several times. You're, you're tracking the data that TCG player is giving us. What, yes. what are the best selling cards right now out of so, Modern Horizons? All right. So I'll just, <laughs> TCG has, has given me, uh, way too much information and I love it. Uh, so, the number one best-selling card in Modern Horizons 2 right now is Ignoble Hierarch Foil, number 414. And now I have to do this because there's 17 versions of each card in every set. So I do believe that the Ignoble Hierarch uh, 
foil version 414 is the extended art but let me just quickly double check but it doesn't particularly matter because this is the card that i believe is very uh overrated right now because if you are going to if you were going to go by the logic that so this is the old border retro foil uh, if you're going to go by the logic that decklist determine prices which i think most people in the in the mtg finance community uh, like to do right now it makes no sense because ignoble hierarch is is between six and ten in terms of the best or the most used cards in the modern format right now so um but it's the best selling by far so people love this card whether or not it's actually seeing play doesn't matter people are buying it and shoving it in their decks but Number two is Cabal Coffers. The ver number 301, Foil as well. By the way, all of these best-selling cards, and it pains me to say this because you know I hate foils, they're all foil. The top, let's see here. Is it, is it predominantly the the retro foil as well that's selling? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What? Oh, my goodness. Like the specialty collectible booster bo booster packs? What do they call them? I don't know, but it, these are the singles, not so much the... But it, it is clearly profitable to get them because these are selling 20, oh. 19, 18 copies a day, 17.95, 17.71. Obviously, you can't sell 17.71. I'm taking a rolling average over a time period. So okay. you get this, you get this fraction. But, uh, yeah, so you got Ignoble Hierarch, Cabal Coffers. Uh, then you have Misty Rainforest, Shock of Shockers, number 438. So I believe that's the retrofoil. Prismatic mm -hmm. Ending. That is, this is an uncommon. It's in all of the decks. Profane Tutor. I don't entirely know what that is, but I haven't seen it in any of the modern deck lists, so I'm assuming EDH. Yavamaya, Cradle of Growth, 441, foil. Again, this sells 18 copies a day. Chatterfang, Squirrel General. <laughs> I don't think anybody's saying that's in uh, modern. You've got Sylvian of the Sea Sky, 393. Dam, which I, I would guess is the black one of the, the subtlety, uh, endurance, the ones where you can pitch it instead of paying its mana cost. Mm -hmm. um uh, yeah it's it's just it's crazy to me people they love it i mean they clearly love these these old border retro etched foil copies and <laughs> i mean the the sales data is just bearing it out i mean it, it would be crazy for them not to do it but it's it's interesting for me that i don't see ragavan i don't see ragavan which i think everybody would say is probably the most successful card we, i mean we could we could pick straws here and i will later but I don't see Ragavan till 27, and right. that's the regular version. So Ragavan is the 27th best-selling card in MH2 over the past two weeks. Solitude beats it by three slots, but that's probably because it's a third the price point. But above that, I don't see any card that is involved with, yeah, not a single card, except maybe the fetches, that is actually involved with Modern. So even though Modern is coming back in a big way, and this set is geared towards Modern, Modern competitive play is not the they're not the buyers, and I I just think it's such a a flaw in the the finance community to assume that competitive play is what's going to drive demand when you can see so clearly that it it's casuals even in a set designed for competitive play it's it's the EDH crowd. That's that's one of the things I'm noticing as well. Um, there's a lot of people that love competitive play and they are willing to spend their entire day playing, <laughs> but the casual is the one who is going to invest. In cards, yep. we had we had somebody buy a deck for the event. They went and they they missed out on top eight by uh, opponent match win percentage. So they were four and two on the day. 
Uh, we had 34 players, so there was a lot of four and two players. Um, they then handed that deck back to the store and said, give me cash for it. I am done playing with this. It was not as much fun as I wanted it to be. And I went, I wish I had the cash right now to buy this from you. <laughs> but I, I think that's the hardest part of being a judge is balancing serving the store versus uh, making money buying and selling magic cards. Yeah. Um, so I generally don't bring uh, money with me to buy magic cards when I go judge, but I wish I could. I wish I could just bring my binder and open it up at the beginning and you know sell stuff. But that's that goes against judging rules. It goes against uh, ethics. Um, well, my personal ethics, I should say, because I don't want to give the store another ten percent. You know, and that's generally yeah. what I give when I'm selling in a store. I will say um, the other thing that I've noticed though, there are some cards. Um, there are some cards uh, like from Strixhaven. If we're if we're gonna reach back a little bit more, just for oh for reasons set releases, I'm only gonna mention one card and we can move on. But that's uh, expressive iteration, and that's because yeah. I I just noticed it in looking at the number of decks because I I have it pinned in market activity actually for anybody who wants to go check that out uh, every day now. That will that link to the spreadsheet. It should be the most recent pin in market activity. We'll update with the MTGO drop. It will show you the number of copies of every card in all of the decks. So if Thoughtseize was played, you know, if there were 36 copies of that used and say that it was four ofs in every deck. So it's going to show you that it was played, played in nine decks. It's going to show you all of that. And then it's got a meta ranking that I've calculated, which I can explain, but just showing you basically how it's, it stands in relation to every other card in that tournament. Um, just so that you can track to see, you know, what's coming in and what's going out. Wow. I love it. I love that we have these tools. I love that we can use them. I love that they are clear and concise and readily available to us. It's great. All right. We we should really we should really circle back. Okay. <laughs> I could talk all day, so I want to I want to let you uh, steer the bus here. <laughs> well, I I'm trying to steer my own bus right now. All right. <laughs> uh, let's you. circle back. Here's here's a good question from uh, the chat. Are the casuals finally becoming measurable, or are existing measured players becoming more casual? Uh, so goodness. I think I think the casuals were always measurable. I I I think this is why we've got the year of the EDH because when Watsi designs sets, and I'm I'm getting more and more familiar uh, from the outside perspective at least with this, they have to plan it two years in advance. So for Watsi to decide that 2020 was going to be the year of EDH, they had to be able to measure in 2018 that casuals were driving demand way more than competitive play. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they have slashed every single tire that they can on competitive play. Watsi has. They know there has been a, like a, a huge measurable, like the casuals have been extremely measurable since 2018. Uh, I, I don't think that that's a, a thing of finally becoming measurable. I think that's been the case for the last half decade minimum um and then i do believe that existing measured uh players are becoming more casual simply because i believe players are be are entering the game at a much more shallow level now than they used to i think the i think if we were to look i think magic's probably reaching a much much broader audience you got post malone advocating the game you've got all these different things um but i think people are much more likely as father ken kind of alluded to earlier buy a deck play and then sell it back as opposed to getting into it, learning the full lore, learning into all the different types of play. I just think the style of 
um, consumership, if you want to call it, that uh, Hasbro and Watsi want for the game now is is much shallower in terms of we're going to charge a higher premium, which means people are going to be less likely to get in. And when they do, they're going to want their money back quickly. Uh, and I think you can see that across a myriad of every single one of their decisions. It's no longer long-term investing. They just want a quick flip in their consumers. And I think that is, is just very palpable. And I think we've seen that transition over the last half decade. Mm-hmm. I also think that Wizards of the Coast did the right thing and they hired sociologists to come on board. I really think that they have done some market analysis that included shifts and trends in the cultural gaps that we've had. There comes a point where all of the big players from Return to Ravnica era moved from competitive play to casual play. I think that that is something that is trackable. So I, I would highlight Return to Ravnica standard as being one of the most competitive standards that we've we've seen in the last several years. I would include in that Cons of Tarkir standard. Yeah. I would include in that the Kaladesh standard. All three of those were very, very highly competitive um, standard eras. And because of that, there's a general shift that has happened with people that as they age out, they want to travel less and they want to play more. And they want to play with people that they like playing with. And I think that's what we're seeing sociologically within the realm of magic. We haven't had the new players come up and coming recently. But what I will tell you is that a good third of the players that I saw this past weekend were players who had been playing Magic the Gathering Arena and had found a deck that they enjoyed playing in Modern and just wanted to try it out. Mm -hmm. And it was hilarious and fun to watch. I don't think I've given out uh, that many game losses uh, <laughs> for for either not showing up to their chair on time, uh, for people with deck list errors, for people with I, I investigated four different decks for cheating this weekend <laughs> because one guy one guy had all foils of uh, some of his Tron lands, but then he also had some other sprinklings of of foils in his deck as well, so. It wasn't on purpose, but it was it was kind of funny and interesting. He, this, this guy was a, a complete casual who just wanted to play his cool uh, green Tron deck. It's absolutely bad. hilarious. And he went yeah. four and two. So that was hey, kind, good of, for him. kind of cool. He had a good time. Yeah. yeah. I just, I think the, uh, the, the mentality, at least when I think about just from a consumer's point, is when you, when you learn the game, when you used to, I think in 2013, get into the game, at least this is how I did it and how I assume most others did it. So I'm speaking from my own experience, which might, might be a shadow. But um, when you don't know what you're doing, you buy a lot because you want to learn it and you're excited and you're into it. Then once you learn it, you gain a kind of a hold of the competitive format. Then you start buying into what the quote unquote MTG you know, community is kind of like, this is the best of the best, which you know you start to start buying the higher price, but you're already buying from the secondary market as opposed to directly from Watsi usually at that point. And then after you kind of evolve past standard, you would get to modern, which was supposed to be kind of a static format, as was EDH. It was supposed to be a static thing where your deck is always going to be good here. And mm-hmm. what I think Watsi has really done a phenomenal job of uh, from a business perspective, if you're a player, I think you should absolutely hate it is they have discovered the way to basically create everything to be rotational. You are always a new casual player because every time a new set comes out, your deck is incomplete. 
your deck needs replacements. Doesn't matter what the format is. Doesn't matter, you know, what archetype you're playing. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be a new card in the next set that you need that they are going to tempt you to buy boxes for directly from them. So they are as a business taking, I, I won't say stealing because it's, it was theirs to lose initially. And I think a robust secondary market helped build a game, but they're already fully built. So now what they're doing is I think they're just stealing market share back in the secondary market back into their own coffers. And then they're totally justified to do it. Um, but I think as a player base, these formats kind of, I think, were created with the kind of idea that your money will gain long-term value here. And I think if you still hold on to that belief, you're, you're just so wrong. <laughs> it's just that dynamic has completely changed. You will, if you play any form of magic and you do happen to be to go past that first layer of, you know, you buy a deck and you stick with the game, it is going to be more more expensive than it has ever historically been. And that's not an accident. Mm -hmm. So one of the discussion points that was happening in the shop was the fact that distributor prices on boxes of standard cards have gone up incrementally over the last mm -hmm. year. And one of the most difficult things that the local shops are trying to deal with is how to make money selling packs because they can walk into Target and buy a pack for 409 but the local yep. local shop is expected to sell 3 for 10 or for 399 a piece and i would consider that to be a huge barrier for the local shops to be able to make money but what we've seen is that wizards of the coast is caring less about local shops and they're caring more about uh, how they can how they can increase their own profits? Uh, yeah, it's that's uh, a really difficult thing. They know that the shop is is driving sales. They know that that organized play drives sales. But at the same time, you know, this last year has kind of proven they don't need the local shop to be able to drive sales. I'm not sure how much I I buy that argument, and I, I'll be honest. I I've had this uh, I had this kind of debate with. Um, Zekiel and, and, and Pokonomics over on the other one a couple of weeks ago. So I've had a few hours to think about it, but every time I've seen an LGS and how they run their business, I won't, I won't say every time. I'll say the majority of the times I've seen how an LGS runs a business, it's extremely inefficient. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that is that you should be as an LGS. There's no way you can be as efficient as a target. At the same time, when I go to my LGS, I literally, I walk down in Astoria. And I like I went down to my LGS the moment I got my LLC set up and I got a credit card and I bought an extremely overpriced box from my LLC or from the the local game store because I wanted that to be my first purchase. I bought a hundred and twenty five dollar box that I knew I could get for seventy five dollars. Like I know if I go there for F and M, I'm going to buy packs from them because it's just a good time to do it there. And they're going to charge me five dollars a pack, and I know I could get it for three ninety at Target, but I don't care. I'm here now. And I will pay for the convenience of having it here now. I don't think people, and this might be me being wrong, but I think when you go to an LGS or an F and M, you're not you're not weighing the you're not penny pinching. I think you, if I'm not doing it, I have to assume most others aren't either. You know, you're there for the experience, you're there for the time. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to get on a pack, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with friends. I'm not going to bring in my box from Target and like that's like I don't know, bringing your own movie into the movie theater kind of thing. Like I just don't see that happening, and they. I think an LGS would totally be within their right to boot somebody who tried to do that. Um, so the, the, I don't know, the argument that Watsi is caring less about the LGS, I don't buy. I think what 
Watsi is doing is they are beginning to create a leaner business practice in terms of you need to be more efficient to, to sell this product as we get bigger. And if you can't get more efficient, then it does start to begin to raise the question of do we need to have this many LGSs, which I understand in some areas will be very painful. And I'm, I'm not trying to be Ebenezer Scrooge, but that's the question it does raise for me is, it, should there be one here? I mean, if you can't run a sustainable business model in terms of community coming together and running the game, should it be there? Right. And so I'm going to push back once again. Yep. All right. We have a new program called Event Link that we are now required to use for every tournament. There is not, it is not set up to be used by judges at all. So if I have a warning, if I have a game loss, if I have anything, I have to go to the event link website and input it on a computer. I can't mm-hmm. do it on my phone. So I, I, I've struggled a little bit with this, with this new program because we've had, we've had two years since it was announced and to not be able to use it in a competitive rules enforcement level in a shop makes it very difficult for me to believe that Wizards of the Coast has a concern for organized play has a concern for uh, how the shops are efficient because they have not made it efficient. Is there not a computer in the shop? There is. But, you know, the largest tournament I've ran at this shop uh, was was like 73 people, okay? I had, I had four judges on staff, and one of the judges was running the counter for anybody that needed to purchase things and would give support for uh, deck checks. One of the judges was responsible for deck checks. Two of the judges were responsible to run the floor. Um, and then I was problem solving throughout the, throughout the store. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in order for any one of those judges to write a ruling on a warning, they would have to go to the store computer and do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I wrote it on the back of a match slip and handed it in uh, to the scorekeeper. We don't have a scorekeeper anymore. Interesting. There's- Event Link eliminated the scorekeeper. That being said, Event Link has kicked people out of tournaments before as well and dropped them unknowingly. And then you have to go back through, add them back in, and try to rebuild the tournament. So it's, it's tedious. It is. And so you almost have to have a, a dedicated scorekeeper just to make sure that Event Link is doing its job correctly. Mm-hmm. So I, I struggle. I struggle with, with the balance because. You know, I'm seeing it from a logistics standpoint as a judge trying to run a tournament. I also yeah. see it from a business standpoint as as a businessman trying to start up a in, an important important organized play tournament. You know, all, both of these things really matter. But man, it's tough. It's tough to figure out exactly what they're doing when when things are being so poorly executed. I I will say, and I I do believe I, I've been on record saying this. I think Watsi are doing judges dirty, and I think that's going to be. I think more so than alienating LGSs kind of in the way that we're describing, because I think an LGS is a business and Watchy should be able to treat a business as a business. And if you can't run efficiently as a business, you, I, you know, you, you fall by the wayside. You either advance or you die. And I see a lot with LGSs that their heyday was the late nineties, early two thousands and present day. And that's not, that's, that's beginning to be not good enough in terms mm-hmm. of you need to keep up with advancements. Now, the way Watsi has treated judges is, I think, comically bad in that it is so horrendous in that these were people who worked for free to build the brand. Now the brand has gone public 
And because the brand has gone public, they just don't care about that anymore, which well, I think is just the, the, the fact of reality. And I, I think it's leaves judges kind of in the wind because if they want to run in-person events, but the other thing too, is I've heard this from every vendor that I've spoken to is that in-person events in terms of the events themselves are not that profitable. No, which they are not. So the, the shop needs to have incidental sales to make money. And um, the the shop needs to understand that that judges are a part of their brand and part of their sunk cost for the tournament. They shouldn't be paid out of out of the proceeds from the tournament. Rather, the the proceeds should be going back to the tournament play. In in that kind of mindset, the incidentals are are what really drives the shop. So this this gentleman comes into the shop. He wants to buy a deck for the tournament that day. He wants to play it that day, and then he's going to resell it back to the store. That are those are all incidental sales. But see, this is this is why it's not. This is what makes me think it's an oversaturated market because you should, as a as a shopper and event planner, you should be able to charge. $50 just for entering and you should be able or whatever it is, whatever you need to do to actually clear a respectable profit margin for holding the event. Mm-hmm. And what I hear from anybody who, who runs an event is saying, well, if I try and run it saying I'm going to charge $50 a head, I know my competitor in town is going to charge $25 a head, which oh, tells yeah. me that there's somebody else who's going to go lower. And that coincidentally tells me that that person is willing to take a loss to beat the competitor, which then next, you know, binary decision down the line here tells me there's too many players in this pond because there's too many people willing to undercut each other to lose money to do this because somebody needs to make money in this model and be able to pay their employees to 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 be able to do this to avoid having to rely on incidental sales i mean this is what i think theaters are dealing with so it's it's not you know unique to this industry i mean you need to be able to make a profit margin. And at a certain point, when you see that you're dependent on these incidental sales, there needs to be someone or, or some group that will just make the stand and provide higher quality, better quality, a better experience, whatever you want to call it, for that higher cost, be able to do it because they need to know when they do it, somebody's going to undercut them, mm-hmm. but be able to provide such an experience, provide such quality that you are willing to pay for it. And I know that if and when should it happen, uh, all of Reddit, Twitter, any form of social media will be absolutely aflame with hatred, anger, angst, whatever you want to call it, because how dare they be so greedy. But this is just how it works and how it needs to. Um, so I, I think it's a, a bit of an Achilles heel with just how events are run right now that everybody is trying to be the lowest, the lowest cost in terms of the lowest price, assuming that's going to entice users or you know players and 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 things in because it's it's a cannibalistic style and you see it eating away at the industry right now i think somebody needs to just man up and say i'm going to charge this price because this is the price that needs to be charged and be expecting that only like a third a fifth whatever it is is going to show up the first time and make sure that everybody who shows up has a wonderful time uh, which is really hard and really difficult but it needs to be done if events are going to continue and may I don't I point. May I mm-hmm. point to the real world example of mm-hmm. Channel Fireball events? Mm-hmm. What happened to their to their large tournament play over the one year that they operated? What happened? It absolutely tanked. The large event play numbers went down so significantly that nobody was playing in them. On the other hand, the casual events play went up exponentially. There was more people waiting for side events than any other group out there 
I ran a 120-person modern event at a modern tournament. So you, you have all of these people that just want to play a side event for three rounds and then get prize tickets. But they're not willing to pay 50 bucks for it. So that just tells me the LGS time is, is, is on a clock. Yeah. So that's the consumer base. It really is a really difficult, it's, it's a double-edged sword that you just can't win at. And then you throw the whole judge situation into it as well. And, yeah. and it, it turns it into a real negative experience all the way around. But yet people still want to play and people still want to have their magic cards and they still want to do those great things well, with their friends. If you want to do it, you should be willing to pay for it. That's, that's mm-hmm. a thing. That's just an inherent thing. And if you're not willing to pay for it, you don't really want it. You can say you want it all you want. And I'll see this, I'm sure, on Reddit. <laughs> which is which is why we're seeing the shift to more casual yeah. play because people want to play with people that they like. They don't want to go and you know sit across from a guy who just smoked oh. you know an ounce of weed out in the parking lot and got drunk at the liquor store and you know they oh. don't want to sit across from that guy. The the argument that I think I, I could see in my mind arguing against is Watsi has made the game more expensive, so I don't want to actually have to pay an additional fee to then go play in an event in person. Okay, mm. you have mm. arena, you can stay at home and play. If you actually want to go and play in person with your deck that you have paid $1,500 for minimum, I think what's the average cost of a modern deck, 3000 and you're not willing to pay 50 like bucks, that, you're yeah. not willing to pay a Ragavan to enter in and play, mm. that's ridiculous. That's just insane. I, I think that's really poor. Uh, I, don't, I don't, yeah. I think yeah. there's a number of things I can point out that is incorrect with that from a consumer standpoint but i think the reality of the situation regardless of whatever your thoughts on that are is that okay they're willing to pay this for an individual card but they're not willing to pay it for a six-hour experience on a friday evening that should tell you everything that i think you need to know about the game because at the same time they could go to a starbucks and do this and they know that they know they could go do this for free somewhere else if they have a, a play group um so i think it's i think it's that balance of you know if you're if you don't have a friend group, I think you're probably going to be a lot more willing to pay that to get in to to meet people and have that social interaction. If you do have a play group, why the heck are you wasting 50 bucks every Friday night? Like, we'll go to a Starbucks and we'll play. But that yeah. just means that the you know you are hanging that LGS out to dry and I I don't see a way around that. That's just the way the world is now. Yeah. People are willing to spend their money where they want to spend it to do the things that they want to do. And they are voting with their wallet, whether they realize it or not. They are voting for the death of the LGS by not mm-hmm. be, by not being willing to pay one Ragavan out of their entire sixty card deck, which I assume is three thousand dollars. Yeah. And but granted, it is every in in theory, it is every week. So I do see that adding up, and I do see how that pings the wallet because it is consistent, as opposed to when you buy a deck, you do that when you want at the rate that you want. But yeah, you know, it's just uh, again. This is the world we live in. You vote with your wallet. And mm-hmm. if you're not willing to shell out, you're responsible for it. And I'll, I haven't been to an LG. I mean, I've been in an LGS. I think the last time I played was Throne of Eldraine pre-release. But before that, I remember it was probably like another year and a half before that since I've been to an LGS because honestly, when I go, I haven't enjoyed the experience. So, you know, what can you do? Yeah. All right. So so we're talking about organized play. We're talking about new decks. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the cards that are seeing some some fantastic growth opportunities. 
let's let's kind of circle back here for a moment. What what are we seeing in the market right now where the average financier can start making a little bit of money? Where Absolutely. should we be looking? Quick lands. Fast lands. Fast lands. Sorry. It's fast late. Lands. I'm tired. Oh, oh my fast goodness. lands. There was somebody in the Discord, I shan't name names, who sold a playset of Spire Bluff canals four or five days ago for $160. That's Oof. ridiculous. They're non-foils. Yeah. Somebody paid $160 for Spire Bluff canals. I sold 16 Dark Slick Shores, the Zendikar Rising Expeditions, non-foils. If you look on TCG, I'm pretty sure there's zero right now. I sold 16 today for $15 a piece. 50, excuse me, $50 a piece. Oh my I paid 15 and I overpaid wow. for them because I saw there was no, I bought out, um, I bought out all the black cleave cliffs I could find at price points I was comfortable with. Uh, I've been saying for a while, the, the ZNR expeditions particularly, I think are a phenomenal opportunity, but just the fast lands in general, as competitive play comes back, uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a yo-yo in terms of if you can get these in hand quickly within the next week, I do think you'll, you will be able to flip these for a very respectable, um, margin. Outside of that, uh, I think Renin 6 from the original Modern Horizons is one that isn't seeing explosive price movements right now, uh, but uh, just underlying currents is pulling it forward. This last one that I'm going to mention is one I will tell you right now, I have a very large stack of, I'm very excited to see it moving, but Mox Amber right now, again, mm -hmm. is selling uh, at great lengths. I see this moving uh, over, I think it's 15 copies per day which makes me very happy. It's showing up on my own uh, machine learning forecasting. It's showing up literally on every dashboard I have in the top 10. Never, you know, never the bride, but always the bridesmaid kind of thing. It's always mm -hmm. in the list, but never at the top. So it's got me uh, kind of excited as, as kind of just the silent one that, that's moving up. Um, and yeah, I mean, the other things are really related to competitive play coming back like retrofitter foundry i believe that's a legacy but it's not very popular in a legacy it's just so low in supply um you'd have to be very careful with reprints that that's coming out um other ones i think that are more reliable um i think the most reliable slam dunk one if you're going to buy anything out of what i say tonight is dark board pathway out of Kaltheim. pick a version throw a dart at the board buy it um this card has gone up Eight months in a row on both the buy list and the market. Eight months in a row. You average the 30 days together. It is just stepping up every month, $1 at a time. It was three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Like it's just a two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's just moving right on up. Uh, Avenger of Zendikar is one that I mentioned last October when we were still, when we were doing our weekly cast. Right. Um, Right. This is the uh, the secret layer uh, drop version. Uh, it ha it went up from January to April and has since stagnated. I think that's more for the uh, the summer months. But um, you know, this is just an eternal staple. It's the sexiest version, one to watch out for. Um, Trinisphere is one. I need Pride. I need to DM Pride for this one. I have no mm -hmm. idea why Trinisphere. Like, <laughs> I'll say this all the time. I I don't know why some of these cards are moving, and it kind of boggles me sometimes. Uh, but Trinisphere, the dark steel non-foil version. Uh, and actually I was looking at inventions earlier because I was just bored. And this is what I do in my spare time because I'm weird. Trinisphere is the best selling invention as well. Uh, almost double all the other inventions. Yeah. Although it's only selling four copies a day. So that's not exactly high flying, but, um. Gotta be real honest with you, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Trinisphere is a two or three of in the sideboard, uh, for any control list. 
in modern right now. Ah, there you go. Um, because <laughs> the controllers are are super super concerned about um the the channeler, the one drop channeler, Dragon Rage channeler. They're super concerned about that. It's an uncommon in Modern Horizons too. Huh. If Delirium uh, plus two plus two and flying, it's very hard to beat in in Modern right now. It's very low in terms of its actual play pattern. Although I'm looking at the leagues, right. maybe I should be looking at the preliminaries. Let me look. At the, I'm not well, it's, really seeing it show up in the deck list that that I have access to. But maybe I'm maybe I'm. Are you talking about Trinisphere or are you talking about Dragon Rage Channel? Trinisphere. Okay, so you're going to look at the Karn lists. You're also mm-hmm. going to look at the white-blue list and the white-black list. And you're also going to look at any list that plays Shardless Agent. So it's the answer to those. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So it's it's a really important card all the way around. Gotcha. And it just kind of helps out uh, you know, as a hoser for those uh, for the blue-red blue spells list right now. I would have never figured that out. Thank you. <laughs> I would have never figured that out. Well, we, we had the question come up this weekend uh, with Prentisphere and what's the other card? Chalice of the Void. Uh, people mm-hmm. were playing Chalice of the Void like it was going out of style. It's ridiculous. Mm. So. But yeah, those are those are the cards that I would just keep an eye on. I think that those are the, the ones that uh, I think probably solid gainers in terms of just sitting back, kicking back. You don't really have to think much. Um, especially I think dark board pathway, I don't think it gets, I said this to, Oh, also I mentioned this back in December that smothering tide was the easiest money you can get despite everything else that's going on right now. Despite all of the chaos, smothering tide is still in the top 10 best selling cards in the MTG world. It like that card you can buy now and like short of even a secret layer, but even if they do that because they announce it and then they don't actually ship out product for another six months after they say, you know, the last day of purchasing, Smothering Tithe is just the easiest money in the world. I mean, my goodness, it doesn't get easier than Smothering Tithe. Like if you're a newbie to MTG Finance, I know it's probably expensive right now. Buy it and sit on it for three months and then say thank you, please. But yeah, I think that's completely reasonable. I really like that card a lot. And I have made a lot of money on it already. Yeah, I think that uh, I think I've listed off more than a few. Uh, hopefully, hopefully helpful to folks. Uh, but we'll see. Definitely feel free to throw it back at me if not. But I, I think it's a good list to start with. I think we've got a really solid list all the way around. And I think it's really important that we recognize that uh, we are doing this a little bit slower than than what we thought you know um we're we're trying to get together more often but you and i are both extremely busy right now um and we're trying to do this more consistently uh one of the things that we're trying to do is actually um have urza edit this every single week for us uh he's a fantastic editor it mm-hmm. makes my it's make it makes our life a whole lot easier but at the same time it also makes our life that much more difficult because if we don't record Sunday or Monday night, then we don't get editing done. And then you're a week late and <laughs> it's just not, it's yeah. just not worth it. At the same time, um, we want to be able to, to offer a very high quality cast here at the bandwidth. We want people to be able to have an opportunity to ask questions and to interact with us and also to be able to, to take the time. And so when we take the time to do this, we definitely want people to be involved in everything. I like it. 
I like it a lot. I like being able to talk with you. I like being able to to get on board and, and to talk about random things for an hour. But at the same time, man, it takes a lot of work to get here. So uh, yeah, I want to thank uh, you for taking time. My my pleasure. I mean, it it also doesn't help that I, I record uh, Collect and Spec Sunday nights and I record the other podcast I do with Pokenomics and Zekiel Tuesday night. So Monday is really my only night left nowadays. Yeah. And <laughs> until I move, my Mondays are difficult to mm-hmm. work through. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I've got a moving date at the end of Ju- end of July. So, you know, 30 days from now, I'm homeless. So it'll work out. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think I'll have this good of a computer sitting in front of me when I uh, record next if we don't get around to it in a month. So maybe we'll have to record one more. I've not been above doing this on my phone. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything fun that that you've been working on? I still think I still think that new feature that TCG Player has added, and I know I I talk only about TCG CCGs. I'm boring that way. I think that is the bee's knees. I can't believe they're giving this information away for free. It is mm-hmm. as somebody who who like who prices data and values it. It is insane to me that TCG is so stingy about their data and then they turn around and they provide this for free to everybody. And for anybody who understands anything technical, they do not rate limit, which is insane uh, mm. from an organization of their size. Um, so this is an open resource for anybody who wants to see it. So I am now able to track. There were three sales for Terror of Peaks on April 14th. There were two on April 15th. There were seven on April 17th. There were I can track to infinity now the exact number of sales on TCG in terms of the order count, not necessarily volume, but I can do that in other ways. So they have they they've just given you the absolute roadmap to to map their site, and it's there are some hiccups on the older cards. They don't track uh, sales that are are listed with pictures yet. Uh, TOA Michael has mentioned that basically this tool is useless for for vendors until until that feature is added, but for mm-hmm. for just cards that are selling well and might be selling above a certain price point right now, it's absolutely fascinating. And what's really fun too is for other games like Pokemon, for for uh, Flesh and Blood, for Yu-Gi-Oh, they have this feature now, so you can see exactly what's selling well on TCG Player, and you can position yourself so well with this information. It is incredible. Um, kid in a Candyland with this information. It's it's just. I can't believe they're giving it away for free. I would have paid them a hundred bucks a month for this. And I'm softballing it. I probably would have done more. And they're just giving it to you because they thought it would be a cool, quirky thing that customers might like to see. It's just insane. It, <laughs> uh, I love it. I, I'm just blown away. I love it too. Uh, this is this is just fantastic to me. Just being able to to be able to talk, be able to hang out just a little bit and be able to spend some time getting information about, you know, Magic the Gathering. I absolutely love it. I love being able to to sit down and talk with you. And I hope that you've enjoyed our time discussing collectible finance with our resources today. It seemed like we went on a few different rabbit trail (laughs) rants, but I think that's what people turn in for. I don't know. We're having fun. Please join us via the Patreon for as little as $15 a month to engage in the Discord and try out our tools with a real money-back guarantee. I hope you guys have a good rest of your evening.